ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. This podcast is recorded on the lands of the Awabakal, Darug and Eora people. Vladimir Zelensky looks tired. Nearly two years into the full-scale invasion of Ukraine by the Russian military, his appearance has fundamentally changed. Early in the war, Zelensky's dark eyes were fierce and determined. He brought a sense of dark humour to his military briefings. Do you have a favourite joke about Putin? He didn't tell a joke in that interview, by the way. He just gave an incredibly cheeky grin. When he addressed the US Congress in late 2022, he cracked a Putin pun in his second language, which is never easy to pull off. Will put in place everyone who will defy freedom. Put in. That Zelensky is gone now, replaced by one with an unmistakable sadness behind his eyes. The war takes the best of us, the best heroes, the best men, women, children. That's it. When the war began, the average Ukrainian soldier was in their early 30s. Now, because of the number of casualties, the number of people who have fled the draft, and the need for more recruits, the average soldier is Zelensky's age, in their mid-40s. We are not ready to give our freedom to this terrorist Putin. That's it. That's why we are fighting. That's it. As winter sets in, the priority isn't gaining ground, it's holding the ground they've already got. Ukraine is running out of ammunition, resources and soldiers. Zelensky knows he has a new problem. In addition to fighting Russia, he also has to fight Israel and Hamas for the world's attention. Attention equals help, he says. No attention means no help. We fight for every bit of attention. He says there are already consequences. Already they've lost crucial support. The question is, can he get the world to care about Ukraine again? And if not, what will that mean for the war? I'm Matt Bevan, and this is If You're Listening. In March 2023, as a man was staggering home drunk in rural Poland he found himself heading over to a train track. I'm not sure if he was having a wee or whatever, but he was very intently looking at the ground when he saw something odd. It was a camera with a battery to keep it running for long periods of time and a transmitter on an empty stretch of railway filming trains go past. The men called the cops, who also thought it was a bit weird. The National Security Agency started investigating. Hunting up and down the stretch of rail line, they found more cameras. This was a big worry. This train line used to be pretty much like any other Polish train line, but now it's the most important stretch of track in Europe. It is Ukraine's lifeline. See... This railway line connects the city of Zeshov to the Ukrainian border. Zeshov is a town known in Poland for its giant concrete communist monument, which looks like a giant vulva, and known by pretty much nobody at all anywhere else. 
But now it's where all of the Western world's military aid for Ukraine is taken off transport planes and loaded onto trains which roll into Ukraine. The large American military contingent running this operation struggled to pronounce the town's name, so they changed it. It's J-Town now, with the local arena serving as their barracks. J-Town has become the most important military training and logistics hub in Eastern Europe. J-Town is where NATO is training Ukrainian troops and where they're shipping in hundreds of tonnes a day of supplies. And the cameras were part of a Russian plot to destroy it. Well, new today, Poland discovering a Russian spy ring that was gathering intelligence on weapons supplies to Ukraine. Not only were they gathering intelligence, they planned to sabotage the track. Those guys were ordered by the GRU, Russian military intelligence, to derail trains with the military and humanitarian support for Ukraine. Derail the trains. And it seemingly all unraveled thanks to a dude who might have drunk too many bottles of Zhivyet's lager and needed a wee. And yet, Ukraine's greatest fear isn't Russia bombing their lifeline to J-Town. If it was bombed, it's a bad but fixable issue. No, their greatest fear is that J-Town becomes a ghost town. That the international aid they rely on so much dries up. And they were afraid even before the war in Gaza started distracting everybody. In fact, in the two weeks leading up to Hamas's attack on Israel, Ukraine's Western support in both Europe and America was eroding before their eyes. And in Europe, it was all to do with bread. You see, Ukraine is one of the world's biggest wheat producers. Ukraine has the historic title of Europe's breadbasket, and grain production remains important both economically and politically. But before the war, very little of Ukraine's bread was going into Europe. It was loaded onto ships and sold in developing countries in Africa and Asia. That was until Russia invaded Ukraine and started blockading and destroying the ports used to export that grain. Poorer countries that import grain to feed their people will need to pay more. Ukraine's grain couldn't reach those countries anymore. But do you know where it could reach? Ukraine's neighbours. Road, rail and river networks made exporting Ukrainian grain to Bulgaria, Romania, Hungary, Slovakia and Poland fairly easy. Now, in the initial phase of the war, these countries were among Ukraine's biggest supporters. They saw Ukraine as the shield protecting them from Russia and sent them enormous quantities of military supplies, including artillery, ammunition, tanks, and even fighter jets. And look, I'll admit, when I first read about this, I naively thought, great, they're helping Ukraine and getting cheap bread. Jackpot! But last time I checked, I'm not an Eastern European grain farmer, and based on our recent survey results, I'm guessing neither are you. Turns out the people who were Eastern European grain farmers were very grumpy. The cheap grain from Ukraine meant local farmers in Bulgaria, Romania, Hungary, Slovakia and Poland felt like they were being undercut. One of Ukraine's staunchest allies, Poland, has announced that it will no longer supply weapons to the country. Don't make Eastern European farmers grumpy. The move comes as a diplomatic dispute over grain escalates. All five neighbouring countries banned Ukrainian grain imports, 
Zelensky was shocked. It is alarming to see how some in Europe, some our friends in Europe, play out solidarity in political theater, making thriller from the green. He possibly carried on the political theater metaphor a little bit longer than was necessary. And they may seem to play their own role, but in fact, they are helping, helping set the stage to a Moscow actor. You, you get the point, though. He's saying that those countries are making a big deal out of the grain in a way that only helps Russia. But for Poland and the other neighbours, they weren't thinking about Russia. The war had become a domestic issue. Poland had taken in nearly a million Ukrainian war refugees, and the other countries had taken in 300,000 combined. Energy prices had skyrocketed, and now their farmers were angry. Both Poland and Slovakia had elections scheduled for the autumn. We've come to election day, an important day for the people of Poland to choose their next parliament. And the nationalist parties in both countries decided that campaigning against Ukrainian support was their best path to victory. Not only was Europe's support for Ukraine waning, but American support was beginning to fall apart too. See, in early October, in the days before Hamas attacked Israel, the US Congress was having one of its periodic proverbial punch-ons over whether they should keep the government running or not. key sticking point was whether to continue sending military and financial support to Ukraine. A small but loud group of Republicans were refusing to pass it unless President Biden agreed to some demands. They even developed a catchy phrase. The Biden administration wants to defend Ukraine's border but doesn't want to protect our own. They'd much rather spend money on Ukraine's border than our own. Ukraine's sovereignty must be defended at all costs, they say even while they're destroying our own borders and surrendering our own sovereignty. They were threatening Biden. Give up on Ukraine funding or we will shut down the US government. But the leader of the Republican Party in Congress, the Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy, wasn't entirely on board. He and most other establishment Republicans support funding Ukraine's war effort. I believe Ukraine is very important. I have already always supported arming Ukraine. It's not sending money to Ukraine. I've been very clear about American border takes priority. McCarthy talked tough, but behind the scenes he was trying to come up with a deal to keep the government running. For that small but loud group, this was unacceptable. Clearly somebody's been lied to. This is Matt Gates, a member of a Republican faction called the Freedom Caucus, and he was real mad. We heard the president come out and say there was a deal with the speaker on Ukraine, and the speaker just stood up in front of all of us and said that there's no deal on Ukraine. For more than a year, he and his colleagues have been totally against funding Ukraine. I will not vote for one more dollar to Ukraine. I will not vote for one more piece of material to Ukraine. His justification is similar to the ones put forward by Ukraine's European neighbours that it's time for a peace plan which involves Ukraine giving up territory in exchange for security. The Biden administration thinks this would be tantamount to surrender. Cutting off support and giving Vladimir Putin exactly what he wants, that would just be terrible, not just for the people of Ukraine, but for our own national security interests and absolutely the national security interests of our allies and partners in Europe. Biden and his allies say Ukraine has no choice 
but to fight on. Because if they don't, Putin will just attack sometime in the future. So, Matt Gates, not popular with the White House. He's not hugely popular among establishment Republican figures either. He's either a fool or a liar. I think Matt Gates is a chaos agent. And uh, I don't have tolerance for some pseudo-psychopolitical fetish. Yeah, they don't seem massive fans. And yet in early October, Gates was able to gather enough votes from Republicans and Democrats to fire Kevin McCarthy. The office of Speaker of the House of the United States House of Representatives is hereby declared vacant. Since then, opposition to funding Ukraine has only increased, both in Congress and among American voters. In recent polls, between 42 and 59% of Americans think Joe Biden should decrease or cut off aid to Ukraine, which sounds wildly variable, but when you look at the trend, it's not good for Zelensky. But looking at this cynically, the Ukraine war is kind of the perfect war for the modern American military-industrial complex. Since the start of the war, US defence company stocks have risen significantly. The majority of the cash Joe Biden is appropriating for Ukraine is being spent in America to pay American workers to make American munitions and weapons in factories owned by American companies and then load them onto American planes, which then take them to J-Town. It's J-Town now. Even some of the donations from other countries benefit America. Countries have been buying American weapons and just having them shipped directly to Ukraine. Plus, European countries have been upping their order of American-made weapons just in case the war in Ukraine escalates and they have to defend themselves against Russia. And so, all the jobs, shareholder dividends and technological advances are in America, but none of the casualties or the property damages. In the past, the thing that usually ended US involvement in a war was the number of Americans being brought home in body bags. But this time, the battle is just over money. President Biden said from the outset of Russia's aggression against Ukraine that we would stand with Ukraine for as long as it takes. All of this happened before October 7th. Israel's Prime Minister has declared the nation is at war after an unprecedented surprise early morning attack by Hamas. Since the war in Gaza began, all of Ukraine's problems have gotten worse. Republican politicians are now going on TV to demand the aid earmarked for Ukraine be sent to the other J-Town, Jerusalem. Let's help our ally who is under attack and there doesn't need to be any more money to Ukraine. End of story. Republicans in Congress attempted to advance an aid bill for Israel while blocking one for Ukraine. President Biden attempted to fix this by bundling the two together, but is now struggling to get that through. The um, mood here on the ground, I must say, is a bit uh, bleak because the Israel-Hamas war has taken a lot of attention away from Ukraine. Christmas has come early to Mr Putin. Republicans are demanding that Israel's funding be kept separate and that Biden agree to much tougher US border policies before the aid is approved. They're tying Ukraine's survival to a decades-long political deadlock over US border security and immigration policies. Ukraine's president warned that Moscow was waiting for support from the West to collapse as his forces struggle to break through Russia's front lines. So the situation for Ukraine is bad. 
to reclaim their territory, they need to cross a large river and fight their way across a large, flat, boggy agricultural area. And that requires a lot of weapons and a lot of ammunition. The people of the United States can and should take pride that we've enabled Ukraine's success <clears throat> thanks to the steady supply of weapons and ammunition. But now that supply of weapons and ammunition is under threat. We can't let Putin win. And literally, the entire world is watching. The entire world is watching. What will the United States do? And it's not just the United States. President Zelensky says other countries are donating less too as they increase their stockpiles to prepare for the potential escalation of the Israel-Gaza conflict. Russian drone and missile attacks on Ukrainian cities are increasing. Winter has arrived and the prospects of advancing are slim. But next winter is the one they're actually worried about. The one after the next US presidential election. The clock is winding down. If You're Listening is written by me, Matt Bevan. Supervising producer is Yasmin Parry. This is our last episode of 2023. We'll be back in February 2024. Until then, check out some of the ABC's other excellent podcasts like What's That Rash? The reincarnation of CoronaCast with Norman Swan and Tegan Taylor. It's a great show. They're answering your health questions like does it matter if I enjoy exercise and am I addicted to caffeine? I might pop in one myself. Is it bad if my elbow makes this sound? Also, sorry for being sincere, but I want to thank you. A recent survey told us that the majority of our audience has been listening to us for at least two years. That consistency, sticking with us through changes in topic, in format, in length, in medium even, is what's allowed us to keep making this show better and better. Yaz and I love making If You're Listening. And it's been thanks to you that we've been able to do it for five years and that we'll be able to do it next year too. So... Thank you. Have a safe and happy holiday period. We'll catch you in the new year. Bye.